Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Talk radio. Get more passionate debate, more outspoken opinion, and more digital debate for the UK. Your voice counts. Get it heard on Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. You're listening to The Late Night Alternative. I'm Catherine Boyle and that is... Katie Puckrick. And we are talking about old pros. We're going to be speaking in a second to one of the women behind my new favourite podcast, the Old Pro Podcast, or the uh, Oldest Profession Podcast, to give it its, its proper name. And I'll tweet you links and stuff um, as soon as we finish because if you're into history at all, if you're into um, you know the history of humanity, because it's not just about women, it's largely about women, but not just about women. And if you've wondered about you know the social morality behind sex work and the changing attitudes towards it you know come on we're all curious this is the podcast for you we'll speak to her in a second but uh, i just want to go quickly to paul hi paul hello hi kath hi katie hi what's going on paul hi i'm just following up regarding uh, the conversations that you've been having really just that uh, i saw something a while back about um it was about uh beer workers in like the old days etc they used to kind of have pointed hats they used to keep a cat to keep the uh, the sort of uh, rats away from the barrels and things. And they were obviously really independent women and they made loads of money. Yeah. Uh, and so therefore, basically, sort of they attached the idea of them being witches and stuff like that, really. Ah. They made a fortune. Uh, so they were completely sort of independent and that's kind of why we got this idea of the witch with the pointed hat and the cat and all that stuff. So that's something I'd sort of read. And the other thing I wanted to sort of mention was the fact that you talked about actresses um, and sort of the links with, with the sort of the, the oldest trade and all that kind of thing. And it was I read something about Charlie Chaplin's mother who ended up with, uh, she ended up with syphilitic dementia. And what happened was she'd gone over as a, an actress and, and, and a singer on stage and she'd gone over, been sent over to entertain people in South uh, Africa. And when she'd gone over to entertain everyone, she basically sort of uh, found out the other side that it was just basically a prostitution ring. Oh. So completely used up uh, over there and came back completely sort of distraught. Managed to marry a guy called, uh, I think it was Sydney Chaplin. I know, I know the name of the son, uh, Sydney as well. But uh, basically sort of uh, that's, that was the start of how she ended up, uh, you know, in, in the workhouses and things like that. So it's just kind of, it's just been going going on a long time, hasn't it, you know? Yeah, I'm really interested about that first story, about the... The, the pointed wo- hats. Well, the fact that these women were independent, they had a way to support themselves, they uh, had, they had power because yeah. they weren't dependent on a man, and then that was a threat. Mm-hmm. So then Absolutely. they had to sort of be demonized. And, and I guess the thing is about that as well is that even children in those ages would have been drinking beer, so this person was kind of like your go-to yeah. person. Because it was cleaner than water. Yes. Absolutely. 
you know, so I'm, it's kind of like, you know, to that person then becomes, like you say, a threat because they're the one who's making all the cash. Wow. Uh, and the power that would go with that, mm. uh, you know, and then basically sort of demonize them over a period of time. So eventually, you know, we get to Halloween. There's all this sort of like, you know, the, the little pointed hats and all these other things. But basically, it was sort of the beer trade huh. uh, from what I'd read, you know. so Good shout, Paul. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> very interesting. I'm liking the show anyway. Thanks very much. We're thanks. liking you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. If you want to give us a ring, 0344 499 1000. But right now, we're going to cross over to Caitlin Bailey. Hello, Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. Hello. How are you guys? My God, I'm so excited yeah, to talk to you. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. I love that caller, too, because it's like, you know, Charlie Chaplin's mom got sent over as an actress and then, you know, discovered that it was a brothel ring. Yeah. Uh, unlike, yeah. you know, maybe just discovering that we've been underpaying actresses this whole f-ing time. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> exactly. Right. We, uh, it's, it's, there's yeah. so many great stories and I love your podcast and I love the fact that you are fruity with your language. But I just got to tell you that we can't say F, F oh. or C or, you know, we've got to be a bit careful on the radio. But it's, oh. it's all groovy. Sorry, I'm used to podcasts. I know. I know. And I love it. And that's part of the joy oh, of it. You're so free. No, it's cool. So talk to me about how you got involved with this podcast because it is just so refreshing to hear two women completely proud and talking about history, but also re- the way you relate it to the modern de- times is just brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually. So I, um, you know, I've been a stand-up comic for eight years and uh, I worked as an old pro uh, on again, off again, uh, which is how most people do the oldest profession, in and out. Um, and I, uh, you know, I was a history major and I wasn't using my degree and I, I kept doing podcasts and interviews and and running into just so much willful misinformation about what sex work is Mm -hmm. uh, and what its history is. And when I started to dig into it, I realized that that was by design. We've been um, erasing not just sex worker history, but women's history for thousands of years now. And so uh, I just started talking about it. I love the fact that you're trying to bust myths with this one. You know, you're trying to push forward this idea that sex work is work and so that women deserve Mm -hmm. to be respected and it's not something they should be ashamed of, but also that it should be a way for women to take control of their lives if that's the way they want to do it. But also kind of busting the myth that every sex worker is a victim because that's something that does get peddled a lot. And some are, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the the full spectrum exists. Something that I say about sex work a lot is that uh, sex work is a lot like sex and also a lot like work um, and that it's all kinds of people doing all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons and having all kinds of feelings about it. Um, So, you know, that's been this idea of women being um, kidnapped and forced into a kind of slave trade is a piece of propaganda that started um, in England in the uh, 1860s with the Contagious Diseases Acts and the uh, suffrage temperance movement there um, and all in the United States in the 1890s. So it's like the progressive era of both of our country's histories uh, started peddling this idea of white slavery almost as a response to the feminist movement that was happening. Um, and a lot of white middle class uh, suffragettes got caught up in that rhetoric um, and ended up, uh, you know, dare I say sort of like appropriating is probably the wrong word, but being fooled um, into peddling this myth of women's helplessness 
as they were peddling for more independence. Yeah, so, I, one of the first yeah. part of your podcasts I heard was about the woman who was a working woman. Uh, she kind of went in and out of sex work, as a lot of working women did, because, you know, if you end up with no husband to support you, then what the hell are you supposed to do? It's not like you can go and, you know, go and work at Starbucks for, for every weekend and right. try and make some money up. So she ends up As in this... somebody l- who worked at Starbucks, you can't feed yourself and, doing that either. I, and I love the fact that you say that your worst job was at Starbucks and you've done, you've done all <laughs> kinds of things certainly, since. It, it was certainly my most exploitative job. But this woman ended up in a lock hospital where they're treating people with, more, uh, with mercury, which, you know, and, and yeah. also gets framed for syphilis. Tell me about that woman. I can't remember what her name was. Her name was Harriet Hicks, and uh, really she's just one of many examples of the, conta- the Contagious Diseases Act uh, that were, was passed in port towns in England um, as an effort to combat uh, syphilis, because I forget what war y'all were in, but there was a war, um, and there's always a war. And, uh, and people realized that syphilis was having um, a negative impact on the British fighting force, but rather than testing uh, soldiers, they decided that it would be easier to round up uh, quote-unquote loose women uh, by army bases and subject them to mandatory STD tests, which, of course, in the 1860s is just a doctor uh, looking at you and deciding whether or not your genitalia looks slutty. And this is where Um, they invented the speculum, is that right? Yes, this is when they invented the speculum, yes. Uh, Yes. And so I think that women who have subjected themselves to gynecological exams uh, have always deeply suspected that it was a form of torture. And you're right. That was uh, what it was for. It was for punishing women who had the audacity to be out in public. Um, and of course, as we know uh, from the Black Lives Matter movement and police brutality, uh, the basic uh, personality traits uh, or the basic police, police officers have not changed that much over the course of the centuries. So they've mostly been a force of social control. And so, uh, you know, you're putting police officers in absolute control over any uh, working class woman um, who, you know, the police officer says that you are a prostitute. How are you going to prove that you are not? Yeah. And, the, and the doctors would back them up most of the time. Yeah, oh, absolutely, of course. And, Kate, complete, and Caitlin, uh, the thing that I'm so, I'm interested in the fact that you talk about overall when you're looking at sex workers throughout history, it really is about control, controlling these women yes. and shutting them down and silencing their voices, uppity women, as you call yes. them. Uh, absolutely uppity women. And I think that like sex workers are, you know, are you allowed to say whore? Is that a cuss word? Yeah, I, I no, it's not a, a cuss badge word. Of honor. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I was like, I don't know what the rules are because I don't follow any of them. But uh, <laughs> I I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, the, the role of whore has often been used to limit the freedom of movement and freedom of expression of all women because you, you pick out this supposed like subclass um, and pick them out and say, this is unacceptable, except that if you if you go back through history and you look at like definite, like what the definition of a whore is in the medieval period, it's just a woman that is having literally any kind of sex outside of marriage. Um, you know, whether there were, or not there was an exchange it was irrelevant to the definition. And then later you see that the definition of whore is a is a public woman, a woman who puts herself in public. And we see that on display now when Donald Trump called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman 
during the second debate. Mm -hmm. He was really calling her a whore. And what he was really chastising her for, which has been the, the original sin of sex workers, was having the audacity to take your life uh, on its own terms and to, and to go out there and violate social mores and speak your mind. Because historically, sex workers have been the most vocal uh, feminists, the most vocal uh, women out there in, you know, intruding into male spaces um, because they don't have, you know, a husband to obey and they've already violated uh, the social mores. So they're, they're, they're the freest women in any given yeah. culture when you look back in history. And the attitude, as you say, that people like Donald Trump, but let's go to Trump in particular, makes what happened with Stormy Daniels and the fact that most people got behind yeah. her and were not going to be, you know, <laughs> turned against her because of the fact that she'd been a sex worker. That makes it all the sweeter, yes, doesn't it? Also, it does make it all the sweeter. And I, I'm so uh, excited about what's happening with the Stormy Daniels narrative as she's become sort of a darling of the left. And we are forcing journalists to sort of re-examine the language that they use with sex workers because they don't want to repeat the old trope. You know, like Rudy Giuliani said, you know, she's a prostitute, therefore why would you listen to her? And of course, my response is like, Donald Trump is a liar. Why would you Precisely. listen to him? But it doesn't have, it doesn't have the same kind of weight uh, for reasons that I think betray a deep uh, misogyny yeah. uh, in our culture. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's using that term to, to make someone less than. And, um, yes. and actually, this is a woman who's got absolutely nothing to lose. Yes. And also, the other thing she's is, already, she, she's so happy. She's at the top of her she, game. She owns it. Yeah, she owns it, and she yeah. is uh, in charge of her life. And this is her business. I mean, this is good for her business. Yeah, it's not a revelation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, she's gotten comfortable with her status as a sex worker long before uh, this Trump incident happened. Experience the unconventional, boss. the unpredictable, and the completely unorthodox exactly. with rule-free Ian Lee. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee. I've got no internet for the last four days. On Talk Radio. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Jamie East. Now, as well as being on talk radio every afternoon between 1 and 4pm, I've just started a brand new podcast that I wanted to tell you about. It's called Talk Film. We've got interviews with the big stars like Martin Freeman, Tandy Newton, Josh Brolin, loads of them. And also all of the reviews of the week's big releases. There's a new episode every Thursday, available through Apple Podcasts and your favourite podcast app. Just search for Talk Film and give it a whirl. If you like it, please hit that subscribe button. Experience the unconventional. Hello. The unpredictable. Don't you think that's a bit weird? And the completely unorthodox. It was my birthday. With rule-free Ian Lee. Uh, I was just trying to generate a bit of content. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee. Hate alarm clock. Hate going to work. On talk radio. I think it's something that we should be seeing more of. I would love to see a sex worker rights movement mirror the tactics of the LGBT movement. Because I think that the 
you know, stigma silences and silence isolates. Um, you know, we, we believed 50 years ago that, you know, gay people were mentally ill and, you know, had like mommy issues and were this like sort of sad, uh, terrible group of people that you wouldn't wish that condition on your worst enemy. And the reason that that myth was able to exist was because of the stigma around coming out as homosexual was so much that nobody did. So nobody knew how many perfectly reasonable, totally functioning uh, gay people that they knew. Yeah, family members. We did it. Yes. So if we have a similar attack, I mean, you let me assure you, you know and love and respect a sex worker. You, if you if you go back in history, about twenty or twenty five percent of women in any given period, depending on economic factors and lots of other stuff, uh, do some kind of sex work at some point in their life. Even if it's that just exchanging huge. sex for a service yes. or to be allowed off, yes. you know, a payment for something may not may not have been money exchanging yes. hands, but certainly it's been used as some some sort of currency. Yeah, some collateral for sure. Ab- absolutely. Um, I mean, I personally want to include Hooters waitresses um, under the big red umbrella of those workers. I'm, I'm interested um, in those, any... those Hooters waitresses because um, that is fascinating to me as an American. I live in Britain, but whenever I go back to the States, I'm always interested that Hooters restaurants are family restaurants. Yeah. And you have the waitresses and their little teeny, like, you know, gym mm-hmm. girl shorts and their low cut tops and a jiggle and a wiggle. And then there's dad with his tween kids having burgers and milkshakes. Right. Absolutely. And I, you know, people say all the time, of like, oh, sex work is coming into the mainstream. I'm like, Bro, it's been in the mainstream. I, I tour as a stand-up comedian. I have never been, no matter how small the town, there's always a strip club. Yeah. We are, we are everywhere, and we have always been everywhere. Yeah. I, th- I think the fact that now that there's more of a move to own it and to say, right, okay, well, mm-hmm. the, sh- the shame has been used as a stick to beat us with for too long. And t- talk to us about the yeah. um, the Red Umbrella movement, because I know that you are really political and you're trying to get more people to, to get under that banner. Well, I don't know that it's totally healthy. I feel like my involvement with politics is like doing emotional cocaine. Like that sort of <laughs> feels like a little bit like a... Re- it feels like a relapse for me, but I have no place to put this righteous rage. And so <laughs> politics feels better... Uh, than actual cocaine, uh, which only makes me more insufferable at parties. Um, and being a history major did that to me a long time ago. Um, I'm, I'm really am like this all the time. So, like, you know, I, my poor partner brings me out to dinner and I'm like, the history of sex work. And he's like, ask them about themselves. Um, so <laughs> the red umbrella has become an international symbol for sex worker rights. Now, most um, sex worker activists go back and pinpoint the beginning of the contemporary sex worker rights movement as happening uh, in Lyon, France in 1975, when 200 working, mostly street-based sex workers occupied the, I mean, I always mispronounce this, the Church of St. Nazir, uh, but it's French, so who knows how it's That'll pronounced. That'll do. Um, right, yeah, Google it. We did an episode about it. Uh, and demanded an end to police brutality and stated that uh, our children do not want their mothers in jail. So it was an anti-shaming campaign and an anti-police brutality campaign. Now, 
as a stickler for dates, I want to say that the WHOM organization, which is Whores, Housewives, and Other Mothers, and the Coyote organization, Call Off Your Old old Tired Ethics, were founded in 1973, which technically predates this, but this began an international conversation uh, and actually forced the Uh, I think the prime minister of France um, on a very embarrassing television episode to confront um, sex workers who were wearing masks um, and demanded why uh, they were stigmatized. So the the red umbrella movement is international. Um, It is made up of, you know, old pros. Um, Organizing sex workers is a little bit like organizing comics. Um, It is very challenging because we are all, uh, individuals with individualistic ideas. Uh, if we could work for other people, uh, we wouldn't be doing what we do. <laughs> um, so, but we are united uh, internationally in ending the stigma around our profession that prevents us from self-advocating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, if something happens to you in the line of your work and you already feel stigmatized by it, you're not going to report it, are you? Especially if you feel like the police no, aren't on your side anyway. Not not only that, but I, you know, every victim of domestic violence that I've ever interacted with was called a whore, whether she engaged in sex work or not. Yeah. But if you are actually a sex worker and you partner with an abuser, they can leverage that against you um, to keep you from reporting things to the police and to threaten to take your children away. And that's something that comes up time and time again in your podcast, the fact that it's easier to take a prostitute's children away from her than someone who's got a drug problem. Yes, we see it over and over again. And that, like, you know, sex work is a kind of marginalization that makes it difficult to participate in the criminal justice system that we have. And it it makes it difficult to uh, participate in everyday life. I mean, sex workers have been mothers... uh, the whole time Um, and to argue that we are somehow lesser than is to willfully ignore um, all evidence, all history and all just common sense. Oh man, Caitlin, I could talk to you all night but we've got to go but thank you you so much for this. It's been a thrill and thanks for that podcast. I've got so many more to go and I don't want it to end so please don't tell me that you're going to do like a season finale or something and then it's going to be gone. No, 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 no. No, you you can't. There there is no sunset on uh, the oldest profession. You're wonderful. Um, It goes on and on and on. So how do we find you? Thank you so much. Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Caitlin Bailey. Uh, my parents misspelled my name. It is K-A-Y-T-L-I-N, Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y. Of course, you can follow the podcast at Old Pro Podcast. Right now, we are trying to get the first uh, national candidate for Congress who is explicitly supporting sex worker rights uh, elected, but normally it's jokes. Um, and uh, we're also we're on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I, we have websites. Come just check us out. The Oldest Profession podcast or on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, and of course, I'm Caitlin Bailey, a professional Maldi whore. <laughs> <laughs> and thank goodness you are. Thanks very much, Caitlin. Good, good to speak to you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Hey, no pleasure. Thank you so much. So if you want to talk about that, you can do 03444991000. We've got a lot to think about, right? Yeah. You're listening to Talk Radio with me, Catherine Boyle and Katie Puckrick. Talk Radio, 24-hour radio debate and entertainment. Talk Radio. We'll get you talking.